It's not only time, but I'm recording. Right. So that's, that's, a, that's a blessing too. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Romans. You've done so much in the history of the church through this book um, to change the church, change the world, change your people. Uh, so, Father, would you use this um, in, a, in a revolutionary way in our own lives so that we might have the same kind of experience uh, Tim was talking about with this woman who has just been revolutionized out of out of error, out of darkness, into the fullness of your of your love and grace. Teach us to live by grace, so that your Spirit really will bear fruit through us. Uh, it's in grace that He works. So, as He works by grace, and as we walk by grace, you, you do your work. So we want to see that. We want to. We want to become aware of it. But most of all, in in our best moments. We want your name to be glorified, <clears throat> and only by our living in grace will your name finally be glorified. For Jesus' sake, therefore, we pray. Amen. Um, chapter 4, uh, let's pick it up at verse 16. Where in in chapter, chapter 3, he had to prove that there is no possibility of, of righteousness by works. Um, and the only possibility of righteousness is through the work of Christ that we read about in the latter part of the chapter. Uh, so only through the work of Christ can I have any relationship with God. But the nature of that relationship is a relationship of faith. Um, so in chapter 4, in the opening part of the chapter, <clears throat> verses 1 to 12, he, he makes the case that it's not by works, it's by faith. Um, in the middle part of the chapter, then, verses 13 to 15, uh, not through the law did the promise come to Abraham. So it's not only that Abraham was justified by faith, it's that all of his seed, all of those who walk in the way of Abraham will be justified the same way. At the last part, and from 16 on to the end of the chapter, he's going to be talking about what that faith looks like. And we're going to go back and review definition of faith that we gave in chapter 1. <clears throat> so this this will be repetition here. But Paul is repeating, so it's appropriate for us to do that. And I've summarized it <laughs> well or badly is another question. <laughs> but that the promise comes to all the seed by faith is demonstrated by Abraham, who risked everything on God, who raised Jesus from the dead, um, proving that justification is accomplished. It's Abraham's risk that is the evidence that he is justified. Um, so as we go, this is where we're headed. Um, verses 16 and 17, only by faith can... The, yes. Sorry. Sorry, that's all right. Back to the last slide. Yes. It says, the promise comes to all the seed by faith. Mm-hmm. Are you just talking about that Old Testament promise to Abraham? Or what is the promise yeah. that comes to us? Well, this boy, boy, you've asked a big question. And it won't take very long to answer, but it'll take a little bit. Well, you can do it some other no, time. No this, is, no, this is a good time to ask it. I'm sure glad. Uh, what is God's purpose in this world? To redeem it. Why? For his glory. I know, but what, what does that redemption issue in 
Yeah. What is worship? Fellowship. What do you always have? Fellowship. Yeah. Relationship. You see, we don't really have a clear concept of what the purpose of God is. <laughs> All right? So let me take us back to beginnings. Turn to Gen- I started not to bring an Old Testament with me, but let's go back to the beginnings. Genesis 1. Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. <laughs> Say again. Verse 26, we have a statement of God's purpose for the human race. Uh, So 126 to 28, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, what is the image of God? Yeah. The image is his character. The image is not mind, emotion, and will. It's not uh, spirit, soul, and body. God ain't ain't got no body, so (laughs) God ain't got no body. (laughs) Uh, um, so, So since God doesn't have a form, then our form cannot be a reflection of our our nature as the image of God. Does that make sense to you? So, rather, it will be the function that we have. What is the function that the image has? Look at verse 26. What is the function that the image carries out? Dominion. Dominion. What does that dominion look like? Ruling. Mm -hmm. What does it look like? What does rule look like today? Control. Today looks more like heavy-handed. Heavy-handed, yeah. Tyranny. I don't think that was it in the garden. No, that's... I, I agree. So, what does God's rule look like in Genesis 1? Provision, protection. Provision, protection. Loving care for. Loving care so God endows the creation with everything it needs to fulfill his purpose. In fact, it's here that I've, I've come to understand what the blessing of God is. Blessing, did I tell you the story about the woman who, who bought a new car? Okay. Uh, I, I was walking into an evening class one night at, at, here in Memphis. and um, It was over at the Winchester campus where we, when we were at Central Church on Winchester and there was a woman in the class and she's it was early I'm, I'm always early 20 minutes early anyway but um, I walked in and she said praise the Lord with me I said I do praise the Lord what am I praising him for she said he gave me a new car last night and I said I'm so I'm so glad for you but I but in the back of my mind I thought this is a classroom I'm a teacher She's my student. She paid tuition for this course. So I did something that wasn't very nice. I said, did you take out a loan on the car? That's a terrible question to ask a person. (laughs) Yes? We just don't do that. But I'm a teacher. She's my student. This is my classroom. She's in the course. Sounds like rationalization. Well, no. Did you take out a loan on the car? 
And she said, yes. I said, do you realize that in the Scriptures, if you borrow, you're, you're under a curse? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you are, yeah. If you're under the curse of God, Deuteronomy 28 says, you will borrow from many and lend to none. If you're under the blessing of God, you lend many and, and borrow from none. Well, what, what then is blessing? To her, bless means, when she said, God blessed me with a new car, what does that mean? Uh, Gave me something I like. Yeah. Yes? Yeah. Or what I want. What I want. Yeah. Uh, made me happy. Blessing in Scripture is different. Blessing in Scripture is the endowment of all things necessary for life and for service. This is a distillation of, of teaching and thinking over the years. Blessing is providing all things necessary for life and for service. Um, in Genesis 26, uh, Genesis 1.26, let them have dominion is... That sound, do you have let them have dominion? What do you have? Let? Yeah. That, that's an English attempt to represent a, a, a grammatical form in Hebrew that we can't translate directly, uh, but it gets across. But it, it sounds like he's saying to someone, allow them to do this. Yes? But it's actually an imperative. It's, it, it would be, all imperatives are, in English are second person. In Hebrew and Greek, you can have third-person imperatives, <laughs> and that's really hard to translate into English. Um, so, uh, have uh, so this is an imperative. What does what does an imperative mean? What, what do we when we talk about something being imper- being an imperative? What do we what other synonyms would we use? Command. Command. So this is a rule. This is an order. Right? No. No, when when you see the context changes everything. Uh, pass the potatoes is an imperative. Is it a, is it a rule that must be obeyed? No. no. <laughs> Are you with me? So uh, that's actually a a request in English. Yes. Yes. But it's put in an imperative form. So an imperative does not always mean command. Uh, what God is doing here is He is endowing humanity with everything that's necessary for ruling. But the, the but the the man cannot make he cannot rule the whole earth. So let them notice. Uh, um, God said, "Let us." I, I can't now. I can't get it out. Then God said, "Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule." Uh, how many rulers can you have in a government? Uh, uh, ultimate rulers. How many ultimate rulers can you have? Only one. So how, how do you get a them there? Uh, let them have dominion. The rule that God intends the human race to have is a rule of service. God, God engages in absolute sovereignty in Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. What happened? There was light. There was an immediate and exact obedience. Yes? God said, let the dry land appear. Let the waters be gathered together in one place. Let the dry... It was exact and immediate obedience. God exercises absolute rule. But 
why does he start by creating light? Because he can't see. You know, you walk into the workshop, you got to turn on the light so you know what you're doing. <laughs> is that what the problem is? Why does he create light first? Because he is light. Yeah, but 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 that's not the same thing. Since he is light, he doesn't need to create light. So it's a different kind of light. So why does he create light first? Is that to exist for all the physical and the natural laws of nature? Every animal on the face of the earth depends on light. Yes. Uh, and you think, well, no, wait a minute. How about those in the in the great ocean depths? Well, the, part partly the answer is there isn't that much life in the great ocean depths. <laughs> there is some, but all of that depends upon what floats down from the surface. And most of the life in the ocean, I just read this a couple of years ago. I was just astonished about this. I didn't know this. Most of the life where you, you do all the fishing is, is within a few hundred miles of the coast. Wherever it is, Asia, Africa, wherever it is, it's all within a few hundred miles of the coast. And they're living off of what washes off the dry land. Does this make sense to you? Mm-hmm. The, the, the plankton and, and all the chain of life in the ocean is growing off what grows on the, on the dry land. But that depends on light. You, you see the point? Yeah, but in Genesis, is when God said, let there be light, was, that, was he creating light? Or yeah. Was he, was he telling the dark? No, it's, 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 he's, he's creating light. Okay. I, I don't know what this means, frankly, but... Uh, we don't even know for sure what light is, um, but um, but in creating light, he's serving every amoeba that will ever live in, in in world history. The sovereign God, in His sovereign rule, serves amoebas <laughs> so that they can have fullness of life. Nothing would exist without light. Nothing would exist without light. So, so God's rule is a rule of service. Yes? God's rule is he's going to create dry land, the, the, the grass and the fruit-bearing trees and the, the ocean-dwelling animals, the water-dwelling animals, the land-dwelling animals, and he's serving every one of them in his absolute sovereignty. Couldn't the light there be also referred to order versus chaos? No, it's light. light. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, um, So it's it's light. Um, There are a lot of things in Genesis 1 I don't understand. But if if the word light is used, I I know what light is. (laughs) As far as, as as it's, especially where I get really confused is how, how do you have light and darkness mixed up and God has to separate them? You know that I, that that's beyond our categories, because where there is light, there cannot be darkness, and where there's darkness, there cannot be light. So how do you get light and darkness mixed up? So it's outside of our categories, and it alerts me that Genesis one is not telling us exactly what God did, but He's using analogies to help petty little human minds, <laughs> sinful, fallen human minds, understand His work. Even in our even in our unfallen state, we could not fully understand what he did. So in our fallen state, he's he's got to talk in terms that we can understand. You heard the Einstein famous equation E equals M C squared, right? What do you think C is? Light. Okay. The Nothing would exist without it. Yeah. So the the uh, the point is that the 
image is going to rule like God rules. Now, if you've ever had a pet, unless it's a turtle or a fish. Now, my great my grandfather had a fish that was that was really intelligent. He was a he was he was a sportsman uh, in every definition you can think of sportsman he loved loved every sport he loved playing watching every sport he would he would sit in the living room with the television on for a baseball game and two radios with two different games on listening to all three of them <laughs> he loved every uh, participating sport and uh, uh, hunting and fishing and he was out fishing one day and he caught a fish and he said this fish was different from any fish he had because he's a fisherman and he would not tell a lie <laughs> so he said I, I, I pulled that fish out and pulled the hook out of his out of his mouth and I looked at his eyes and I thought this is not like any fish I've ever seen this this fish has something going on inside a lot more than just a fish <clears throat> so he took it home kept it alive took it home put it in an aquarium and he thought you know as, as smart as that fish is I bet you I could I could take that fish out of water and train him to live outside of water Took it out one second. One now, don't don't shake your head. My grandfather told me this, and he wouldn't lie to me. <laughs> Getting your high waters on. <laughs> so so he took it out one second one day, and two seconds the next, and four and eight, and got it where the, the fish could stay out of water thirty minutes at a time. He thought, I wonder if I could teach this fish to walk. And sure enough, he taught the fish to walk. Now you're laughing at me like this is a joke. And it's not. This is absolutely... Granddad, Granddad Doyle taught me this when I was a child, and I believe him. And so uh, he, he took him out in the forest, and they were walking through the, the forest one day, and they came on a ravine that had some water in the bottom of it, and he, Granddad jumped up on. There was the only way across was a, a log that had fallen across. And Granddad got up on the wall, on the log and walked across. And he whistled for the fish. And the fish got up on the log, started across, got halfway across, slipped and fell in and drowned. Sounds like a fish story. <laughs> <laughs> and my response was, "Oh, Granddad!" <laughs> but. But but why is that not a reasonable thing? Because it's not appropriate to the nature of fish. But God endowed us with the capacity of understanding the nation, natures of animals. Why are we able to learn so much about animals that we are? God endowed us with that capacity. And to, to see that animals can develop far beyond just their natural state. Uh, Romans 8 describes them as subjected to meaninglessness, not willingly, but because of him who who willed it, so that the creation itself might be set free from uh, uh, vanity into the, into the freedom of the sons of God. What will his creation be like when sin is eradicated and everything is made new? Can you imagine... Um, it's just hard to even think about it. Yeah. So the the reality is God created the human race to serve the animals to develop to the fullest potential of their created natures, uh, far beyond where they are now. Think about being able to walk up to an elk 
and be welcome. Are, are you with me here? I, that's one of the most majestic animals I can think of in, in my own mind. Um, um, or the fact that the serpent spoke and they didn't seem yeah, surprised. By yeah, yeah. And my favorite professor said, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> uh, the, the, so, so Genesis one twenty six, the image is to rule, and that rule is a complete dominion. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, the beasts of the earth, and everything that creeps upon the face of the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God created he him. If Moses was in an English composition class, verse 27 would be, would be marked for, um, I forget the term that's used, inconsistency, because the, the him has become a them. Why? That's a terrible sin. I can't believe you did that. Um, that's me. <laughs> because male and female, he created them. Are you with me here? Why male and female? And why does the human race need to multiply and fill the earth? To subdue it. Why, why does it take multitudes to subdue the earth? Because this is a rule of service. And I can't rule from Memphis, Tennessee over the earth. We have to multiply and become millions and billions in order to serve all the animals on the earth, all the trees. Are you with me? What are they placed in the garden to do? Chapter 2. Yeah. To tend it. How, what, do you, what, what does it take for a fruit tree to be uh, productive? Pruning. Pruning. They've got to prune the trees. Are you with me here? So our, our mandate in Genesis 1.26 is to rule, but it's not a rule of dominion. It's not a rule of, of power and authority, top-down rule. It is a rule of service assisting, assisting all of the creation to reach the fullness of revelation of the glory of God. It's like a stewardship. Yeah. Um, you've known this. You've perhaps experienced it and on either one of the two sides I'm going to mention my wife has worked for, she taught in elementary schools for a number of years. And she had some principals who really labored to help her succeed as a teacher. And she had other principals whose only goal was to, to uh, pad their own resume. Uh, you know what that, you know the difference in that, yes? Um, one of the goals of a manager ought to be to make his employees as successful as possible. So uh, a, a good friend of mine uh, said, he was a manager, mid-level manager with Xerox Corporation back in the 70s, and he said, my goal was to define the task for the employees uh, under, my, under my office, to assign responsibilities, to provide resources, and authority to carry out the work and then get out of their way and hold, hold them accountable. Are you with me here? Mm-hmm. What is the role of an employee? To try to make the manager as successful as possible. Does that make sense to you? 
So it, it's, a, it's a mutuality there. The, the human race must multiply and, and, and fill the earth because that's the only way we can rule. We've got such a corrupt concept of rule that we think, well, as, as I was in, in an elders meeting years and years ago, I've never been an elder, but I was preaching at a church here in Memphis. And the, the uh, lead elder regularly wanted me to sit on, on elders meetings, and they were utterly unproductive. <laughs> but we had one man who was there, and he would argue over the color of the sky. And, and he'd get really angry, and, and he, he'd be ready to go to fists at it. And one day, we were talking about the headship of Christ over the church, and, and this guy slammed his hand. I mean, it was hard. The whole table shook, and it was a big, heavy wood table. Slammed his hand on the fist, on the, on the uh, table, and he said, Somebody's got to be in charge. You see, Jesus isn't big enough to rule his church. Got to have a human. Or this church is going to die. Are, are you with me here? The the issue for us is we've got such a corrupt view view of rule that we don't understand what rule is or what the image is. So look at verse twenty eight, chapter one, Genesis one twenty eight. So God created man in His image. I'm sorry, that's uh, twenty seven. Uh, and God said, um, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful. Multiply. Does that mean that you got to have seventeen kids? No. Hope not, because I only had three, <laughs> and my wife was finished at three. Uh, she was holding my hands while she was in labor, and, and it hurt. And she said, "Jim, I can't do this again." And I, yes, dear. <laughs> no other thing I could say. Um, doesn't this is this is not rule this is enablement blessing endows the object of blessing with everything necessary for life and for service yes sir interesting that i thought it introduced when marriage is introduced uh-huh. so let so um god blessed them and said be fruitful multiply fill the earth and subdue it have dominion and these words subdue and have dominion are, are words that are used elsewhere in the Old Testament for armies subduing an enemy. Just trampling under, and, and one of the words is to trample underfoot. Uh, so they're, they're among the strongest words for rule, but they're in a context of rule of service. So the goal of God in the creation is that the human race should rule the earth with the, rule, the nature of rule that he himself practices. We will express to the animals the nature of God by the way we rule the animals. So the God that we that most of us as humans serve is a slaughterer, is an enslaver. Are you with me? The God that we serve is a is a is one who makes the animals' lives full and productive, useful. Does this make sense? Um, Genesis 3 they reject the blessing Um, the serpent says to Eve um, God knows that in the day that you eat of it you will become like God knowing good and evil and he holds out a good that he proposes a good thing that he proposes God has withheld from Adam and Eve 
So there is there is something good that you could have, and they could. The way to this knowledge is precisely the way that the serpent has proposed. This, but this is a benefit that God's holding back from you, and you could be. But we were created to be like God. Are you with me here? So she believes the word of the serpent and not the word of God. When she saw, note what it says in Genesis 3, she saw that the tree was good for, the, for food. That's not too surprising. Chapter 2 said all the trees in the garden were good for food. She saw that it was delightful to the eyes, and that's not surprising because Genesis 2 said all the trees were delightful to the eyes. But she saw a third thing that it was desirable to make one wise. In that statement, she has believed the word of the serpent and not the word of God. That's her sin. From that flowed her disobedience. The reason she fell is not because she disobeyed. The disobedience was the result of the fall. And she gave to her husband who was with her, and I know all the, the questions about that, and I don't have any answers, so don't ask them. But, but um, uh, the, the, so, so what we've been doing is seeking benefits <clears throat> that we think are more worthy than the benefits God has offered since the creation, since the fall. We've been seeking benefits that are more worthy than those that God has offered and any benefit that I like that God isn't allowing me to get indicates there's something wrong with God. Couldn't possibly be something wrong with me. Does that speak to our day at all? <laughs> uh, so, so in Romans, where we're headed here um, is the restoration of the promise. The question came... Um, what are we talking about in the Abraham and his seed in Romans 4? Yes? That's, that's how we got into this. So what is the promise to Abraham and his seed? Well, what is the promise to Abraham? He will inherit the earth. Look at, look at verse... Uh, is it 15? No? Uh, 13? Yeah. R- look at Romans 4.13 now. For not through the law did the promise come to Abraham or to his seed that he would be the heir of the world. Abraham is the heir of the world. Yes? And his seed are the heir of the world. What good is it to inherit the whole world? if there are billions of us, if, 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 the, if the inheritance is to be divvied up by in percentages and there are billions of us, I want fewer saved. <laughs> yes? But, but if, the, if the inheritance is different, if we are fulfilling the purpose of God in creation, turn to Revelation 22. Or in, in fact, uh, yeah, is it 22? 21, I guess it is. Uh, verse 1, as, at Revelation 21, 1. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no sea anymore. 
and the holy city, the new Jerusalem, I saw coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, that he will be their God. The promise to Abraham is now fulfilled. Uh, uh, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear. Uh, there's an odd passage at the end of chapter 21. Um, the uh, Let's see, verse 24 and the nations shall walk in its light. Who are the nations? And what is the new Jerusalem? Um, the nations shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory into it. Who are we talking about here? Um, the, folks, the glory of God in the church is a foregleam of the glory of God in the eschaton. The glory of God in the church is to produce one people out of many nations, tribes, tongues, and and people groups. And we have fractionalized it. So we're not living under the blessing of God in that respect respect because when God is blessing his church, Acts 15 occurs. They come back and ask, well, what are we to do with Gentiles? Well, you accept them on the same basis as Jews. It's almost like we've done the same thing the Israelites did. Yeah, yeah. So so the the point is in Genesis, I'm sorry, in Revelation 21, uh, the church, I think, the New Jerusalem is the church. It's built on the foundation of the 12 apostles. You remember this? You will say, "But, but Israel's there. Because the the gates have the names of the 12 tribes. I will say, if you've ever been to Israel, you've been to Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you've been to the Damascus Gate. If you've been to the Damascus Gate, if you go in that gate, are you at Damascus? Is that where Damascus is? No, the Damascus Gate opens on the road that leads to Damascus. So the tribes live outside the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem is built on the foundation of the apostles. Am I making sense to you? So I take it that the New Jerusalem is the church. And the church is given an unusually exalted position in this new creation. But there are still Gentiles living on the earth. And they, as as any other... uh, subordinate does in a, in a monarchy, they bring tribute offerings to the great king from time to time. Uh, does that make sense to you? Yeah. So, and we see later that Gog and Magog so mm-hmm. here. Well, that's, that's earlier than, than this particular passage. But the point I'm after, folks, is that, um, that the goal of God is to restore the capacity of the human race through the seed of Abraham, the capacity of the human race to fulfill his creative purpose for us, namely to rule the earth. Does that make sense? That was a long and involved answer, but I don't have any others. That makes sense. Um, my wife, we were driving from Killeen, Texas, to Oklahoma City, which is about a seven-hour drive, and um, one night as we were driving, she said, um, 
why does it, why is it when you ask a question, it always takes you so long to answer? And I took about 30 minutes to explain it. So, so you've fallen into such hands. I'm sorry. I can't help it. It's just me. Uh, but, but folks, it ranges from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22. Do you see this? So, so the purpose of God has been thwarted by sin. And God is, is using every means to show that the only way of restoring the race to accomplish his purpose is by grace. So whether you're an old-style dispensationalist or not, it is clear that God has used different ways to relate to people over the years, over the centuries. Uh, old-style dispensationalists would say there was a period of innocence, and we, we were put to a test and we failed. And then there was a, a period of human conscience, and we were put to the test and it failed. And there was a period of uh, uh, hum, uh, uh, royal rule, and we failed. And there was a, uh, the period of promise with Abraham, and we failed. There's a period of law that failed. Now we're in the period of grace, and it's going to fail. But only the only time that we will finally be able to to uh, overcome that, then will come the messianic era, what we what an old style dispensationalist would call a a uh, the millennium, mm-hmm. and I am a premillennialist. Um, in the millennium, that will fail. You put unredeemed human race into a perfect, nearly perfect world with a perfect government. And we will still rebel. So the only hope is if God has a new creation. And and the only way for God to fulfill his purpose for this creation is by a new creation. So that's, uh, I'm sorry to take so long to do that, but I don't really know how else to do it except to lay the biblical uh, data out and look at it. Um, Where were we? we were we started with verse uh, 16 <clears throat> yeah could you review uh, based on what I've got in my notes I'm not showing that you covered verses 13 to 15 in detail could okay you please review those yeah verses? Uh, not through the well in effect it's what we've done not through the law did the promise come to Abraham or to his seed that he should be the heir of the world but through the righteousness of faith and you have righteousness of faith mm-hmm. okay here again, I, I would propose that we translate this faith righteousness. Um, it's, it's a legitimate category. Righteousness of faith, the word of faith in Greek, can express, it doesn't have to. There are, I've, I don't know how many categories are there in, in that particular uh, construction. 20 or more. So I got a 1 in 20 chance of getting it right. Um, one way to say that is that what is of faith is a, is a synonym for righteousness. So faith righteousness. Are you with me here? Uh, faith which is right relationship with God and right relationship with God which is faith. And I think that's what Paul's doing in the, in the passage. So uh, then um, verse 14, if those, who, if, if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is rendered empty and the promise is annulled. Um, for the law produ- works wrath. And thank you for bringing me back to this because uh, that verse looms large. 
folks, the function of law is never the reward of, the, uh, of those who do good. Have you ever been driving and you see blue lights behind you and you pull over and the policeman comes out and stands, stands by your car door and you roll down your window and you say, Officer, uh, good afternoon. Officer says, do you know why I've stopped you? And you say, well, no, because you looked at your speedometer <laughs> and you were going on the right, in the proper lane. And <laughs> uh, he said, well, he'll say to you, well, I just noticed that you were obeying the speed limit. I wanted to thank you. He gets back in his car and drives off. Yes? The law, in fact, I heard one time that in Wyoming or someplace, Montana, they actually did this and they would stop people and give them like Chick-fil-A cards for obeying. Montana, at least on the interstates, there weren't any speed limits in those days. But but on the highway, they would stop them and give give them a reward thank you for driving carefully you know but um that's not the purpose of law is it Uh, why do you need law because you've got people doing bad things um Dwayne Litvin said in a class that I had on preaching a number of years ago he said uh as the organization ages it's it's rule bit rule book gets thicker because over time, you have to protect the organization against its members. You, you can tell the difference between an organization and an organism. Because an organism must protect its, its members against all threats. The organization must protect itself against its members. Are you with me? So when the organization is making rules against its members, you know it's near dying. Does that make sense? Um, so, so the law works wrath. The reason you make law for business is because business people have, have done, done dishonest things, but if there's no law, you can't, um, what's the word, um, prosecute them. Yes? So you have to have a law so you can prosecute. If you go to a court and you say, this guy did this, and the judge will say, well, what law did he break? Well, there's no law about this. The judge will throw it out because there's no basis. Uh, so you make law to curb, to be able to penalize, not curb sin. You, you make law in order to penalize uh, unjust actions. Does this make sense to you? The law works wrath. Now look at the rest of verse 15. Where there is no law, now does that mean that there's no sin when there's no law? You say no, Terry, why? Well, unless you say what God established with Adam and Eve in the garden as a law, Mm -hmm. they sinned against God. Mm -hmm. But I don't really see that as a law. Not precisely. No recognition of the sign? Say again? No recognition? And even Abraham, when he lied, we've already talked about that, when he lied, there was no law as we understand it that was already established, but but that was sin. Do you remember how we defined sin sin early? Unbelief? Unbelief. Unbelief. Uh, All unbelief is sin. Even obedient unbelief is sin if you obey the commandment of God but in unbelief it's still sin 
uh, the Pharisee who keeps the law of God according to his lights uh, is still in sin. Not because he has obeyed, but because he's obeyed in unbelief. He believes that he can move the hand of God to do something for him that God wouldn't otherwise do surely out of his, uh, out of his grace and mercy. Um, transgression is a subset of, of sin. Um, the word comes from a, a two Latin words, trans, which means a cross, and gredior, which means to walk. Uh, uh, I think it was Dobson told the story about a friend of his who was working at home one day, and they didn't have a, a back fence in their yard. You, I, I did this, Chago, some time ago. Uh, I enjoyed it. And he said the kids were out in the backyard playing, but across the alley there was a there was a construction area, and the kids were over in the construction area. And he went out and he said, "Kids, don't get over there; it's dangerous. Stay in the yard." So Kent went back in, was working, and after a while he looked back out. Of course, the kids were back over in the construction area. So he he, uh, he said, "Kids, I, I told you not to get over there. Stay over in the backyard here. Stay in our yard. You'll be safe." So so. A little bit later, he went back in and looked out. Sure enough, they were back. So he went out to the yard and took his heel, like we used to do in elementary school, and he, drew a, he, he pulled a line across the backyard. <laughs> Don't cross this line. So he went back in the house, and several minutes later, he looked out. He said every one of the kids was towed up to the line and bending over as far as they could. <laughs> <laughs> to, to transgress means to cross the line. The law is the line in the dirt, and when you cross the line, you have transgressed. But if there's no law, there's no line in the dirt, so you can't transgress. doesn't mean you can't sin, because not all sin is transgression. Some sin is even obedience. <laughs> Are you with me? Mm-hmm. So, uh, remembering Philippians, uh, what is it, Philippians 2? Um Where is that? Oh my! I don't know. I can't help you then. I know. What things were gained to me, I count loss. It's chapter three, Um, verse uh, four. Although I have, uh, I myself have. things to boast about, even in flesh. If anyone thinks that he is, uh, that he can have, be confident in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the, tri- of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, um, uh, as far as the law is concerned, a Pharisee, as far as zeal is concerned, persecuting the church, as far as righteousness, which is the law, according to the law, is concerned, I was blameless. Blameless doesn't mean he kept every commandment. Blameless meant that having broken a commandment, he would make the appropriate sacrifice. Okay. He was blameless. Yes? But lost. Uh, so what things were gained for me, I have come to the settled Calculation that they are lost for the sake of Christ. Uh, even though, though, um, 
But all the more, I consider all things to be lost for the sake of the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, and I count them as refuse, so that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is by the law, but the, but the righteousness through faith in Christ or faithfulness of Christ. That's a debated point. Uh, the righteousness of God upon faith to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death. So, so you can obey sinfully. <laughs> so you're not transgressing, but you're, still tra- but you're still sinning. See, we assume that sin is disobedience, and if it's disobedience, every disobedience is wicked. Therefore, every obedience is righteous. But we have here an evidence of a man who was very obedient, more than most of us are, and yet completely unrighteous. Yes? So I can't define righteousness anymore as primarily obedience. It issues in obedience. And as we were talking earlier, we grow in righteousness. But the, but the issue is that uh, righteousness is not um, synonymous with obedience. Uh, we have brothers and sisters who love the Lord dearly, who are genuinely born again, but they want to tie righteousness to obedience. A uh, very famous pastor would, would make the statement, if you don't have growing obedience in your life, you're probably not saved. And, and to what degree does one measure that? Well, that's the problem. And that's part of Part of the problem of, of uh, legalism, legalism always has to have measurability. Yeah. See, so uh, if if it can't be measured, if it can't be perceived by the senses, then I can't recognize that you're righteous. Um, but Jesus was perfectly righteous, and he was crucified as a as an evildoer. Yes. So it it evidently is the case that religious people, obedient people, cannot necessarily recognize genuine divine righteousness in the life of other people. This is the problem with legalism. We think we can. And so the old... I've, I've used this too many times. You're weary of hearing it. If you love the pastor, you come on Sunday morning. If you come on Sunday night, you love the church. If you come on Wednesday night, you love the Lord. Well, it's silly and it's dumb, but they kind of half meant it. And to get to be a deacon in that Jim's Baptist church, so there were no elders, but to get to be a deacon or a Sunday school teacher, all you had to do was come time three times a week. But you might be as lost as you could be. My dad was, and he was a deacon and a Sunday school teacher and remained unrepentant in his sin the last umpteen years of his life and was still a Sunday school teacher at his church. And they knew his background. Am I making sense to you? The same church that said, if you love the Lord, you come on Wednesday night. (laughs) So, uh, I'm not sure that uh, we're on sound ground here. We, we've got to learn a different kind of righteousness, faith righteousness. Uh, faith righteousness, the essence of it, what's the essence of faith? 
Pardon? Knowledge. That's where it begins, but it's not the essence of it. Love. Love. God. Loving God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And that's what we're going to see with Abraham here, uh, apparently next week. <laughs> uh, uh, Terry, thank you for, for calling me back to these verses. That, that helps that distinction because I guess, you know, in much of my background, and maybe it was said and I just didn't hear it or didn't understand it, but making that distinction between transgression and sin, mm-hmm. that they're not necessarily synonyms. In, in a sense they are, but not completely. Yeah. Because when you were talking about you can obey and still sin, it mm-hmm. made me think of Matthew 23, when when Jesus pretty much castigates oh, yeah. Pharisees. the scribes and the Pharisees. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Because they give the appearance mm-hmm. of obedience mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing Christ say to them is, but you still don't believe. Yeah. You have the appearance of obedience, and maybe in actuality they are obeying, but you're not believing. No. And so even though they are obeying, he's pretty much saying, you're not part of me. Yeah. And, and so that that's helpful that sin is more, I, I guess... Is, is the broader term, and yeah, transgression broader. is a narrower term. Yeah, and transgression yeah. is actually yeah. going against what the law says. Uh-huh. Yeah. But but even when you're saying that, you know, and I, I think of this verse here, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Like you use the example of a corporation. I taught in a Christian school for two years. We had a great superintendent the first year. We had a superintendent that came in the next year. And he had literally had this manual of all of these things that the student was supposed to do. He had pictures of how the boys were supposed to cut their hair and the length of a girl's skirt. And I'm thinking, that was not beneficial. That just created more... Rebellion. Yeah, more issues that the teachers needed to deal with. And, And I just could never quite understand how he thought that that was actually accomplishing something good. But he did. Yeah. But see, he grew up in Britain Baptist Church. Well. (laughs) But that is to say, he grew up in a church like I grew up in. He graduated from Bob Jones. Well, that too. (laughs) Bob Jones has produced some really good folk. Oh, yeah. But uh, they... I heard heard once uh, uh, talking about the law of the taboo. All you need to do to... Excite, inside this something in our heart to do it is to say you shouldn't do it. That's right. Once, once yeah. you restrict it, there's something in, in, and in our heart. That and in work. chapter 6, we're going to see that at work. I want to go to that line. I want to lean over. Yes. That's right. There. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, in just a few minutes, let's go on to verse, uh, uh, where were we, 15? The law works wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. You've got to hold on to this verse. It's critical. You've got to read Exodus in light of this verse. Um, maybe, maybe I can do this in the five minutes here. Turn to Exodus 19. Um, why does God give Israel law? If, if law works wrath, why does God give Israel law? And, uh, and, and if, as, as Paul will say later, the, the law is not established for the righteous, but for the wicked. So why does God give Israel law? In Exodus 19, 
there are about three verses I want us to look at. One is um, verse uh, uh, verse uh, five and six. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, what covenant? When God says this to Moses, what covenant could be in Moses' mind? Abrahamic. Abrahamic. How do you keep the Abrahamic covenant? Not really. Yes, but it, that's true. But the, the one commandment that the, the Abrahamic covenant has is circumcision. circumcision. So Genesis 17, right? So if you will keep my covenant, then you shall be to, at, at my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Did they ever become a kingdom of priests? And part of the problem there is figuring out what that means. Yes? But if they're going to be a kingdom of priests, that would entail that they're, they're all priests. Well, who are they priests on behalf of? Who do they represent before God or re- represent God before? The other nations. Does that make sense to you? Do they ever become a kingdom of priests? People are just banging on the doors of Israel trying to get in because they see the blessing of God in Israel. No. So why not? Well, verse um, 11, Let them be ready for the third day, for on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain. My text reads, go up on the mountain here. Is that what you have? Yeah. Into the mountain. The mountain. Yeah. Uh, or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or, or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up near. My text says to the same idea. But the phrase is the exact same phrase that we had in verse 12. So how come in verse 12 it's go up on, and in verse 13 it's go up to or go up near or approach? And the answer I have is I've looked at every place that I know of that this phrase occurs elsewhere in the Old Testament. Every place else it means go up on, not go up to. For example, you go up to a city on a road. Are you with me here? Mm-hmm. So, uh, so what is God saying? What is God saying? Who's supposed to go up the mountain on the third day? Well, you can't tell easily. In English, when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up. Who's they? The people. The people. Where do people function? In the, I'm sorry, where do priests function? They, present, they function in the presence of the, God, of the God they serve, yes? Where is God revealing himself in this event? On Mount Sinai. So where are they to serve? On Mount Sinai. Verse 16. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there were thunder and lightning flashes, a, a thick cloud upon the mountain, a very loud trumpet sound. So what's supposed to happen? supposed to go up on the mountain what did they do they trembled 
Why did they tremble? I might tremble too, frankly, um, seeing that that incredible display of God's power. But but what is the point of the trembling? It turns out there are f- about fifteen words for trembling in Hebrew. <laughs> it just blows my mind. <laughs> uh, and uh, this word is a word that's consistently used. The verb is cons- thirty nine times in the Old Testament is consistently used to describe uh, trembling in the presence of, of looming disaster. Now, is that consistent with this passage? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me let me let me play with the minds, brother. You've been through this a couple of times already. Uh, um, uh, let's see. As I was teaching this at First of Anne some years ago, and, and one of the women in the class said, "But, but, Jim, the border still sta- stood after this." And I said, "Yeah, of course it had to." And here's why. I'll show you this in chapter twenty after the. Um, Revelation of the Ten Commandments. Uh, uh, Let's see. Verse 19. I'm sorry, let's pick it up at 18. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. All the people... I'm sorry, I just read that, did I not? Yes. Then they said to Moses... Speak to us yourself and we will listen. Don't let God speak to us or we will. What is it? What is there in all their experience since Moses came back to Egypt that suggests that God's purpose is to kill Israel? But what is their assumption about God's purpose? It always is you're here to, to hurt us, not to help us. Uh, we have seen, Deuteronomy 5 says, we have seen that, that God uh, speaks with man and yet man lives. Well, that's not what you would expect. That when you say, and yet man lives, that's not what you expect. So God says, Mo- Moses tells the people, uh, the Lord heard what you said that day, and he said to me, all that they said is good. Doesn't that seem to undermine my view? And, his, and the answer is No. The Lord said to me, all that, the, all that these people have said is good. Oh, that they had such a heart in them to fear me always so that they will keep my commandments and live. What does oh, that they had mean? Do you know? It's consistently used in Hebrew and in English. They don't. They, this is a trembling not in awe at the majesty of God. This is a trembling because they think God's there to destroy them. They have no trust in God. Does this make sense to you? Uh, so the, uh, the issue, let's go back to Romans and we'll finish with this. I said four minutes, I lied. Didn't lie, I was just trying to do it. But, uh, where were we in Romans 4? Verse 15. 15. Um, the law works wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. For this reason, it's by faith, so that it might be according to grace, so that the, that the promise might con- be confirmed to all the seed, not to those who are of the law only, but to those who are the f- of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, uh, I have made you the father of many nations before in the sight of whom 
He believed God who makes alive the dead and calls things into existence that don't exist. Faith trusts God. I've puzzled why did God reveal himself to Israel in that particular way. And I think the answer is to drive their unbelief into the surface. If, if there had been a heart for God in Israel, he wouldn't have appeared that way. Um, God doesn't have to appear that way. Remember Elijah on Mount Sinai? Yes? So God doesn't have to appear that way, so why did he? He's, he's driving their, their unbelief into the surface. That's why Israel got the law. Because law is for the transgressor. So let's close with prayer. We take courage, Father, in a way before you. You are so awesome and majestic. But we take courage from these kinds of things that we're looking at that you really have reached out, not through the mighty wind and the rushing fire, but through the still small voice and drawn us into relationship with yourself. You are a mighty wind. You are a flaming fire. You are infinite holiness. You are perfection. You are purity beyond our, our expectation or even our imagination. But you have drawn even us into relationship to yourself. And it is through the gentleness of the Spirit, not through the boot of the, of the, of the conquistador, And you have drawn us into that fellowship so that we might be your servants to rule over this earth. Once again, not as conquerors, but as servants. Beginning already in our lives, you have been preparing us to be servants and servant rulers. Continue that work so that we may be fully developed and ready to do the work of our Father when the day comes. May it come quickly. Uh, We ask you, Father, when we know that your delay of of wrath means uh, even non-believers are given extended life to enjoy the banquet of life, but they're squandering it. They're, they're, They're eating all the marshmallows and leaving all the really nourishing things to the side. And they're sick and they're making our world sick. Uh, when will you bring Jesus back? When will you fulfill your promises to Abraham? When will you prof- pro- fulfill your promises to Israel? When will you pro- fulfill your promises to Jesus? When will you fulfill your promises to us? Father, we long to see those days. May they be near and soon. Um, if your intent is to delay your full wrath longer, give in this time when your wrath is evident in our nation, give a concurrent outflowing of your grace so that your your church is strengthened um, for the persecutions that must come, but so that also multitudes of people will see the excellence of our Savior in our lives and be drawn to him. 
so Father, um, do your great work. You're going to anyway, but it's our it's our desire that you do your great work, that you do it thoroughly. But our desire is that you would do it more obviously and, and sooner than you're doing it right now. We know that we're not wise and you are. So we we readily submit to your plan, but long to see the fulfillment of, of your own glory in this world. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.